For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I thought I read that you actually had a bolt through your head. Is that accurate? That's what, that's what they think it was. Whiskey Myers can officially say they were Yellowstone before Yellowstone was cool. The Texas-based country rockers agreed to film season one of Yellowstone without really knowing what the show was. If you know Cody Cannon and company, you understand this is on brand for a group that's never really worried too much about what's next and what the side effects may be. Today, guitarist John Jeffers joins the Dutton Rules podcast to talk about the Yellowstone experience. Along the way, he'll share a secret about their scene backing Rip and Beth as they dance into the night. I'm Addison Hager, and Billy Duke spent a half hour with John. The group's new Torneo album drops on July 29th, and if I were to compare it to an iconic Yellowstone scene, I'd say it's the scene where Rip lets a bull loose in the bar times 10. Billy and I will also talk briefly about how Yellowstone creator Taylor Sheridan has changed lives with the music he chooses for key scenes. The Yellowstone soundtrack is as important as the action. Tap follow if you're new and give a rating or review at the end if you appreciate our broad coverage of Yellowstone, 1883, 1923, and eventually the Four Sixes. Welcome to Season 2 of Dutton Rules, a Yellowstone 1923 podcast. Hello, Addison! Hello, Billy. It is good to be back. And I'm excited today because we're talking two things that we love, especially you. Yellowstone and music, which is music obviously is our cup of tea. Yeah, really, I have been really looking forward to doing this episode for a while. I talked to Whiskey Myers, geez, it was probably a couple of months ago because they had some touring commitments. So I've been kind of just holding on to this interview and this excuse, which ended up being a kind of a good thing because some news has developed as it pertains to country music and Yellowstone. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to jump into that a little bit later in this podcast and, and talk about, should we give people a teaser of who we're talking about? Well, Lainey Wilson, I think it's out there, you know, and she's a friend of Taste of Countries and a friend of ours. And I feel pretty confident that, you know, as long as the show grants her permission, we'll have her on the podcast at some point to talk about what she's up to. Well, I end up excited because she's the first, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think she's the first female vocalist, right? Because they've all been males. They've, they've certainly had a lot of women whose songs have been used like as a soundtrack right. for the show, but I don't know if they've had any uh, female featured performers yet. So you're right. Mm -hmm. Whiskey Myers was kind of the OG, if you, if you will, of the um, singers getting to be on this show. They were, you know, the first act to be recognized as a Yellowstone band. What season were they on and what episode um, could we start finding their music? It was back in season one episode four and they were physically there during i think one of the first real romance scenes between rip 
and Beth Dutton. It was the scene they're in the bar and Rip comes into the bar. Beth's being flirted with and Rip, I think, ends up hitting a guy who won't go away. And then he sits down and they have a little romantic talk and there's a slow dance to the song Stone. And that's a Whiskey Meyer original. And they're they're performing it live there in the scene. The actual episode is kind of interesting because it's the train station. It's the first time we really get a feel for what happens at the train station. But this scene with Rib and Beth was just sort of a, a microcosm of the entire plot line. For artists, this is a huge lift for them. You know, their their songs are getting to the ears of people who may not listen to them or find them otherwise. How did this, how did Whiskey Myers getting to be on the show, what did that do for them? Well, I talked to John Jeffers from Whiskey Myers, and the whole conversation is coming up here. And about 15 minutes into the interview, we start to talk specifically about that question. What did Yellowstone do for him? And it's kind of funny because the short answer or at least the answer at first, is not a whole lot. Now, that's not to say that it didn't give them a huge lift, because it certainly did eventually. But remember, season one of Yellowstone, there wasn't all this buzz. You know, ratings and viewership was about a quarter of a third, maybe, of of what we find today. So it wasn't really until later when people went back and started streaming old episodes that they started to discover Whiskey Myers and Google them and, and attract a lot of fans. Certainly wasn't immediate for them. Who do you think... In your personal opinion, all the artists who've been on the show or their music has been on the show, what? who do you think has really, this show has been a catalyst for them? I might be just answering with my personal favorite performer from the show, but <laughs> Ryan <okay>. Bingham's music <laughs> uh-huh. career, I think, probably has gotten the biggest kiss, and especially during season four. I mean, we knew him as a singer and songwriter, and it turns out he's a great actor and a great cowboy as well. Uh But some of the songs he performed during season four, particularly The Poet, which is the song that he plays for Mm -hmm. Lloyd after they kind of make peace. I mean, that was just really a pin drop kind of performance. And then later he performs that song Hallelujah for Beth out in the barn. Um, That was just another one of those kind of signature performances. That sent me down a huge Ryan Bingham wormhole. Uh, And I've kind of really been deep in that playlist since. So for me, I think Ryan Bingham is probably the answer. It's a little bit unfair because, you know, He's also an actor on the show as well. Well, and I actually, I would agree with you. That's who I kind of had in my head as well, because I don't know, you know, this past year he was slated. He performed at, you know, the Houston Rodeo and just different things that I don't know. And correct me if you feel differently on this, but I don't know if it weren't for the show, if he would have had, like, if he would have performed at the Houston Rodeo and stuff, you know, and had that name kind of, about, like, even people I knew, they're like, oh, Ryan Bingham, you know, from from Yellowstone. You know, that's how they were kind of referencing him. Uh, you know, is playing at the rodeo. So I, I think the opportunities like that yeah. also helped um, because yeah, of no the show. About it. Who else would you say outside of Ryan Bingham have really, really gotten a big lift because of the show? Well, there's a couple of, if you're following country music currently, there's a couple of really clear examples. One is a, a new artist named Jackson Dean. And his song, Don't Come Lookin', was featured in season four, episode seven of Yellowstone called Keep the Wolves Close. And that song um, went on to become his debut radio single at Country Radio. And if I'm correct, I think it might be top 20, maybe even top 10 currently. So it really sort of kick-started the career for him. Uh, And and there's been some others. Uh, We we mentioned Lainey Wilson, and she's going to be on the show for season five. But this isn't her first time on Yellowstone. She's had... 
five, six, seven songs placed on Yellowstone kind of throughout the four seasons. The most notable to me coming in uh, season two, episode one, the song Working Overtime, Rip lets a bull loose in a bar. And as he does that, Working Overtime is playing. So she got a big lift from that, I think. Well, and then not only, you know, I think that's kind of she's coming off of already just personal, you know, music success and writing that. Um, that's just been a major, major movement for her. And then in addition, like you said, she, her music has already been on Yellowstone. But I think it's cool that she's actually getting to play, you know, a character in Yellowstone. I think that's what I'm personally excited for of the acting being doubled onto that. Have you, like, there's kind of a juicy theory about her character, too, that's Ooh, really unconfirmed. What is it? It's like from the the Reddit boards. Well, she's... <laughs> you love Reddit, Billy. <laughs> well, I, I get into it a little bit, but the idea is that her and Beth are, she's a character from Beth's past. Maybe an old friend, an old nemesis, and they either cause some trouble together or kind of butt heads in some way. The word mercurial is used to describe the relationship between Beth and this friend who some people think is Lainey Wilson's character. Ooh, that's juicy. She'll probably teach her a few things a man ought to know. <laughs> oh, zing. I see what you did there. <laughs> did, you <laughs> did, you like did you like what I did there? <laughs> okay, well, outside of Lainey Wilson, who else would you say had a huge lift because of the show? Artists like Coulter Wall, I think, got a big lift. Uh, Shane Smith and the Saints had a really nice lift. Um, but the one I guess I want to focus on because he's so relevant right now, an artist named Zach Bryan. He had a song called mm -hmm. Flying and Crying in Season 4, Episode 5, called Under a Blanket of Red. And this was the scene with Buster Welch. The late Buster Welch was in the scene, and Zach's song was playing. At the time, that was a nice moment. But Zach put it on his album, this massive album that is, depending on the week, been the number one, two, or three album in country music for the past several months. So he he really kick-started his career after appearing on Yellowstone. So I don't know. It's so cool to me to find tangible successes. Like people think mm -hmm. like just having a song on a show is going to do you some good. And I don't know how often it does because I don't know if they get paid really. But this is real. Like they have had success because of yeah. these moments and as you'll hear from John Jeffers, like they're literally able to play bigger venues because of mm -hmm. some of the success they had on Yellowstone. Well, and when it comes to the songs that are specifically being played on the show, who chooses those songs? That's a pretty good question. I, I think that there is a music director who kind of scouts and searches for certain songs. Um Publishers, I think, have started pitching Yellowstone songs as well. I remember having a conversation with a, a singer-songwriter named Ernest who admitted that him and Thomas Rhett wrote a song that they want to get on Yellowstone. So mm -hmm. they're not searching maybe like they once would. But ultimately, Taylor Sheridan, it's his call. Like He was the one early on who started kind of tracking down these artists and getting permission to use their songs and, and really giving artists a lift in other ways. I think there was an episode where Taylor's character was wearing a t-shirt that said Shane Smith and the Saints. Um, and then the song was played. Like that's kind of above and beyond a way yeah. to give an artist, give a little shine to a an artist who's not necessarily a commercial or a mainstream name. Yeah. And I, and I love that he does that as well. I think that's really cool. It's kind of the, like a Taylor Swift, if you will, of hiding little Easter eggs and things. 
Yeah, that, that's totally true. And, you know, it's neat to me, too, that he doesn't just focus on the underground artists. Like if a mm. Tim McGraw or a Johnny Cash or a Chris Stapleson song makes sense for a scene, you're going to find that. Like the scene where John Dutton's dad dies, you hear Chris Stapleton singing Daddy Doesn't Pray Anymore. Totally appropriate mm. song. That's a really, really big song off of a Smash album. But it's the right song for the right scene. And to that point, Billy, you know, that's just consistent with what Taylor Sheridan's done across the board of his entire, you know, franchise of, you know, you can be, it's whatever, whatever fits. You can either be an actress that, like a Tim McGraw, who has acted before and um, all the above, or you can be, you know, like the gypsy Gratiella Brancusi, who she had no acting experience before this. And it's just, you know, what are your abilities? And if you fit, great. I don't care about, you know, what your track record was beforehand uh if you work for the show great and that's kind of what it sounds like music wise if it works great if you're a tim mcgraw great if you're this joe schmo off the corner great Mm -hmm. which i think is cool uh you're absolutely right um he does what's what's best for the show which you know an artist always strives to do but in this commercial kind of economy where you got to turn a dollar sometimes that gets lost I want to give a little bit of love before we get to the Whiskey Myers interview to uh, SavingCountryMusic.com. They do a really nice job of listing all the songs used episode by episode throughout each season of Yellowstone. And they even pick out songs that maybe if you're not paying attention, you might miss, like the the music over playing over the speakers or in the cafeteria when they're having dinner mm-hmm. or something. They'll they'll pull it out and... Um, and identify it. So that's kind of the best source to find this. They've done a great job throughout the episodes. Uh, so I wanted to give them a little bit of attention. Before I kick it off with Billy and John Jeffers, because I know you guys are itching to get to that interview, email us at staff at tasteofcountry.com. I know Billy and I talked about our favorite moments so far on Yellowstone when it comes to music, but we want to hear yours. So email us. We always love reading those and we'll try to respond as quickly as possible. So it's always either Billy or myself responding. So it's not it's not a robot. It is really, really us. So here's the interview with Billy Dukes and John Jeffers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, Billy, what's going on, man? I see you're in Shreveport, Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken, getting ready for a show tonight. I am. We got. Uh, I haven't been in Shreveport in years. We've got two in a row. I'm pretty sure this town owes me some money for some reason. I'm not sure. Is that just, it's a big do you say that? Oh, all right. I was going to say, but you just say that about every town you kind of roll into. Oh, no, no, no. There, I've, I've, uh, we're, we're from, uh, I used to live in Tyler, Texas, which is only about, it's not too far from here, probably about 45 minutes. So we came out here a whole lot to gamble whenever in our college years. The uh, Tornillo album drops on July 29th and man, this thing's melting my face off. It's high powered. It, it's It's fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We're pretty, uh, we're pretty excited about it. Do some of these more up-tempo songs especially, I mean, they have such a great live feel for them to them on the album. Do you need to play them live before you commit to recording them? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Um, most of the time the process 
kind of going into the recording is uh, we kind of just get in a circle as a band, as a unit, and we uh, we run through all these songs. So I think we had around 34 or 35 songs for this album. So we, wow. you know, we we don't necessarily play it live first to see a reaction. We kind of develop our own reaction as a band and to see how well we flow through the music before we actually record it. How arduous is the recording process? Is that something y'all really enjoy and embrace, or is it kind of just a step to get to the stage again? Uh, we, we definitely enjoy the stage a whole lot better, but we, we like the studio. There's a lot of magic that happens there that's, uh, you, you kind of can't replicate anywhere else, you know? And sometimes, like, going back to the live thing, if you do it live or if you do too much pre-production before the album, you, you, uh, you can kind of waste some of the magic that does happen in the studio because there's something in there that you, you just can't replicate, you know? This album in particular, and maybe you guys have done this across some of your older albums as well, but I really, what really stood out to me was the backing vocalist, that kind of mark, uh, especially the last half of the album. Um, uh, Mission to Mars comes to mind. Can you tour with that kind of entourage or do you got to figure out some other way? Yeah, we can. We actually, uh, we used the same girls on the, the white album, the last album. So uh, we just brought them in again for the new one. But yeah, we can definitely tour with them. I don't think we're going to do it full time with the horns and the girls, but uh, we're going to bring them in for select shows and a couple of runs. It's not too expensive then at this point. I mean, there's more bodies, more more ways the money's got to go, more meals, mouths to feed. <laughs> Right. I, I think everything's expensive right now, so either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah that's practically another bus. And I'm pretty impressed. You brought your wife and your daughter out on the road with you. That's um, that, that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, my wife and my son. Yeah, we, son. We don't get yeah. Out. yeah, yeah. No, you're good. Um, yeah, he's only about one and a half, so he, he hasn't got out too much and actually toured a whole lot. Um, but, yeah, he's getting of age now to where he's very curious probably not staying up late enough to see dad on stage then i would think no, usually not but he's a night owl he doesn't go to bed till about 9 30 or 10 as opposed yeah. to the rest of the, the normal children they're usually hitting it like seven or eight yeah my kids are in bed by like eight and that's just because i i need them in bed by eight to i'm kind jealous of, <laughs> i mean we, we try he just just refuses it's a it's a john jeffers of whiskey myers the new tornillo album is dropping on, on july 29th and, you know, some of these songs, the, the experience, you kind of just get lost in the guitars and the rhythm and the shuffle and blues beat and everything going on. But when you listen deeper to a song, you know, John Wayne comes to mind. Like, there's a real message in those lyrics, especially the bridge of that song. It's not just high-octane rock. Right. Do, people miss, do people miss that? Or how important is it for you to kind of, for people to catch those, what you're trying to say? Our, our fan base is pretty good at not missing it. And, you know, our everybody says it so it becomes cliche, but we really do have some of the best fans. They're pretty smart, smart cats out there that are listening to us. So, I mean, they always catch what we're talking about. But, you know, I guess we tend to uh, we tend to hide kind of embedded in there a little more, I guess you could say, than just blatantly coming out with stuff. But, yeah. I mean, some often there's kind of a, a darker message kind of weaved in. Yeah. In, into the lyrics um is that kind of representative of the whole band or is that more just cody's sort of point of view and y'all just kind of get behind it because the songs are good right um yeah like you said on the ones that which he writes the majority of the songs but yeah we just kind of jump in there and we just kind of produce it together you know and make it as best as it possibly could be but like i said we usually do 
you know, we'll do those 30 something songs and we'll pick out the ones that we, we want to stand behind best and that we believe in and, you know, get in there and try to make the magic happen. You guys lived so much life between your last album and this album. Well, first, let me ask this. I mean, the Whiskey Myers album drops in 2019, end of the year. Y'all had a ton of momentum, and then the pandemic comes and seems to wipe, just cripple everybody at the knees. Did that hit you guys especially hard? Yeah, we were the first ones to go and the last ones to come back, you know, as far as the career yeah. was kind of concerned. But, uh, and, you know, we were kind of at a, one of our peaks of our careers, which, unfortunately, it's, it's always been that way for us. But we were at a special peak at that moment. You know, and yeah. it shut us down. We had to go home, and um, it was pretty scary times, to be honest. But, um, you know, we lived through it, and we, we took care of our guys. Everybody was on the road. Everybody was taken care of. Everybody survived. Thank goodness, you know, just, uh, you know, monetarily speaking. Um, yeah, it was a pretty scary time, man. And we're very fortunate to be back back out on the stages again, just doing what we love. I've often said that bands had it roughest during the pandemic because there's four five six guys that all need to be in agreement on when you're coming right. back and it's not just those guys it's the wives right. or maybe there's a kid the drummer has a kid yeah. that has like a, a, de a depleted immune system or something like that that would kind yeah. of hold back the entire yeah. band yeah. maybe that's what you mean by you're the last to go back on stage or come yeah back. yeah so, so you know there's six of us on stage but all six of us have families, you know, and a couple of us have kids and there's 12 total mouths that we tour with. There's 12 of us total, two tour buses, yeah. you know, drivers, employees. So it's not, you know, whenever you try to get with a bigger picture, whenever something like that happens, it's a, there's a lot of pressure to, uh, you're not just really worried about yourself. You're worried about 12 people and their families, you know, trying to survive through doing what well, they've done well, what was the darkest day kind of for, for Whiskey Myers during that pandemic? The darkest day was day one. I think we were in Cleveland and we had to make a decision to whether do we shut it down? Because the, the mayor of Cleveland, I think, uh, of Ohio, maybe he must might have been the first one. So that first day we had to make a group decision. Do we go home right now or yeah. do we play this next show, even though they're cutting capacities down? So we had to cancel the shows and we headed home, which ended up being the right move. So the next, probably two or three weeks after that was the darkest, where we really started listening to what was going on and we got a feel for it. And it was like, hey, we're not going back. You know, we're not fixing the tour. We don't know how long that's going to take. So we had to develop a strategy to, uh, you know, pay our guys and develop how we could keep food on the table. That was the hardest, darkest days for sure. And which ended up being two years, you know, over two years or something like that. I mean, I always think back on those first days of the pandemic and I think like, A, like there was uh, there was a lot of festivals that were really kind of hemming and hawing about have to cancel the show when obviously right. it was the right thing to do. I, I remember South by Southwest in particular was kind of kind of sassy when they finally called it in. They kind of gave an F you to the city in a tweet. Um, right. But I also remember we were we were washing our groceries and that was just a weird ass thing to do then. <laughs> and it feels weird. Now. It was the strangest things. I, I cut us. We were, yeah, we would wipe off the boxes, like boxes that yeah. were delivered from Amazon or something. We were wipe spraying those down. You know, just nobody, the uncertainty of what was going on was just surreal. You guys have lived so much life in the last two years until this album. I know you had a, a son, um, Cody, if I'm not mistaken, had a, a baby boy or a baby girl soon after. 
Um, did too. Of course, the pandemic. You had an accident on ATV. What songs on the album do some of those events show up on? Um, I wrote I wrote and sang a song called uh, "Heavy on Me" on the record, yeah. and uh, I used to pray for a lot of stuff. And then, I, you know, whenever people would have hard times, you know, I used to pray, "Just go ahead and put it on me, because I can handle it." You know, take the load off of the feeble ones around me and put it on me, because I can handle it. Well, I guess the last time I prayed that, that I had that ATV accident. My wife was seven and a half, eight months pregnant, and we were moving into a brand new house during the pandemic. And, you know, I fractured my skull and I had to get transferred to another major hospital. Anyway, that, it really shows up in that song. That's what I'm talking about is having a kid. And, uh, you know, I kind of got that prayer answered in a different sort of way, you know? Right. It really made me open up my eyes to a lot of things that, uh, you know, not only wear your seatbelt, but a whole lot of other deeper, deeper stuff than that. You kind of underplaying the accident a little bit. I know you're pretty messed up and even almost lost your hearing for a, a, yeah. a good bit. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm think I'm grateful for it. You know, I'm grateful for uh, what came out of it. But yeah, I definitely lost my hearing. I went. I had total hearing loss for probably, I don't know, five or six months. But wow. we were gonna do a surgery. Uh-huh. We were gonna do a surgery on it, and there was it was right behind this year, and I fractured my skull. So we had some oxygen that was leaking in, and we had some issues. We had some some bubbles of oxygen that was getting into my main artery, and we had some that they were worried about getting into my my actual fracture. But long story short, it ended up okay. I didn't have to go through with the surgery, and I regained. I uh, probably, Good. you know, 60 or 70 percent of my hearing back. So that's what I was recommended to do, was just watch it and see what happens. And I guess he was right. I'm thankful for what I got. So. I thought I read that you actually had a bolt through your head. Is that accurate? That's what that's what they think it was. You know, I was kind of oh, not good. But, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and I wouldn't. I wasn't being evil Knievel. I wish I was, you know, shooting through fireworks, doing something crazy, but I wasn't. I just took yeah. off a little fast from a dead stop, and we rolled it. And we think a bolt actually, you know, punctured me right behind the ear and went in. Wear your seatbelt. You know, yeah, wear your you seatbelt, kids. You don't have to be doing anything yeah. stupid to get hurt. You know? It's uh, John Jeffers uh, from Whiskey Myers on the uh, Dutton Rules podcast, and you and Cody go back a long, long time. Are you are you guys childhood friends, or was it more high school, college kind of? Where did you guys kind of pick up along the way? Yeah, uh, we were childhood friends. We uh, we grew up playing ball together. Our families have always known each other. Uh, we played baseball together growing up. Uh, we really got close in high school, though. About you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, we got super close, and then uh, we kind of never left each other's side since then. There's an interesting article, I think it was an interview that maybe you both did in American Songwriter, where, where Cody talked a little bit about how he kind of operates with blinders on. He doesn't pay attention to what else is going on in the industry. Um, he doesn't he think does. about old music that you guys have made. Do you have to balance uh, that, or does anybody in the band try to balance that so that you know there is yeah. some sort of... Uh-huh, I do. I'm, I'm kind of that guy which, you know, I, I'd like to be the blinders on all the time, but I feel like I do... You know, try to. I don't concentrate on what's going on, but I try to stay up to date just so I know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever we get together and talk, me or some of the other guys are, are semi knowledgeable whenever we have conversations about stuff. And then, you know, his perspective is really good to take too. So I think I think it just meshes really well together to where we're not involved in it, 
you know, we don't have a say so in it, but we know we're aware of what's going on to an extent. I wonder if you could give me an example and don't be afraid to get into the weeds a little bit because I, I kind of sometimes live there of where maybe your perspective on these things showed up either in your career or on an album over the last five years. Um, I think we had a song on the White Album called Bitch that I sang, so I'm pretty sure it showed up during that a little bit. I was a little angry and um, may have drank a couple of too many Miller Lights at the time. And I had pre-recorded that song, and then I showed the guys as we went into the studio, and uh, yeah. everybody thought it was a no-brainer, so we stuck with it. <laughs> Do you guys enjoy both being dads now and your kids kind of playing together? Is that a little surreal? I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I've actually lost weight chasing him around. Yeah. I don't know how much how much physical effort it is, but yeah, it's a trip. It's uh, all the things you've been told by other parents and how it changes your life and it's all true everything anybody has ever said about it changing for the better is absolutely true it's the coolest thing in the world the the thing for me and i have i have three boys and, and they're pretty big kids i was starting to get up near 37 38 years old in bath time with like your two-year-old and trying to get that oh, l- lug of sand out of the tub man you almost need to put a back brace on and chalk up your hands and it's like do this Exhaust- thing exhaustion yeah and uh, me and my wife joke around. It's like I'm I'm the lucky one. I get to I get to leave and go on tour, and she's stuck by herself, you know. But uh, yeah. she does a great job. She's a super mom. No, but dad it's, guilt it's, it's is real though. Yeah. Dad guilt is real. I mean, that's a real emotion where you you kind of want to be there. I mean, if you're a good father, then dad guilt is real. I mean, I guess some it's, people might blow it heavy. off. And one of the the things I do in preparing for an interview is I just like to kind of like basic Google search like. A phrase like is whiskey myers or uh, does whiskey myers or something like that and see what kind of auto fills yeah and i had to laugh out well the one that popped up that made me laugh was is whiskey myers a real band (laughs) and i i I know why people are asking that it's because they saw you on yellowstone several years ago and wanted to know if that group really existed (laughs) it's real uh that's funny yeah i hadn't seen that that one all right, well, we're real for sure, and we are. A band. <laughs> we operate I mean, like a band. Whiskey Myers is not a guy. That is not the singer. It's not, it's not the. It's it's just a band. Tell, I mean, speak to a little bit about like, you guys were operating some almost a decade before the Yellowstone thing kind of came along, and that really kind of gave you a pretty good lift, I would imagine. Like, how big of a yeah. lift was it, and how many new fans found you just through? Not only season one, but I ask people kind of go back and watch all those episodes because you guys got six or seven songs in the show, I think, total. Oh, sure. Yeah. Our, our mind frame, our mindset going into it was, uh, well, that's cool. Yeah, we're down to do that. I mean, we're, we were open to do whatever. And it was like, well, Kevin Costner's, you know, in it. And we're like, oh, well, shit, that's, that's pretty cool, too. We should do it. I mean, we didn't really think a whole lot about it. We just thought we were going to go play on a show. And it was gonna be fun, but we didn't know how big the show would be and how broad of an uh, like a national audience that hasn't heard us before. So it opened us up to a whole new group of people that have never been exposed to our music. So it ended up being a, a pretty good deal for us, for sure. Did you kind of level up in terms of the size of venues you were able to play nationally? Uh, we did. We did. We were like I said, we've always been fortunate to be. A, you know, on this level in our career. So yeah. that just, 
they just kept it in stride and they kept pushing us forward into uh you know bigger venues more markets and the exposure it gave us to the the national you know people that typically don't hear us it, it definitely helped us for sure you had two songs on season one episode four and this was the train station episode you had Frogman, and then of course stone which is when beth and rip are slow dancing um yeah but, but i would guess that there none of those like the show wasn't even a thing when you filmed those yeah. scenes like it was all in pre-production so there'd be no way of knowing exactly what you were getting yourself no. into no we had no clue like i was saying we just thought it was going to be a show you know we just went into it with like yeah it sounds cool you know we didn't expect to have any sort of positive reaction we didn't ex we knew there wouldn't be a negative reaction you know but the show became popular the more and more went on and uh we were fortunate for it i think it's just right timing right moments in the right song yeah and the right place, you know did you have any interactions with uh, either Cole Hauser or, or Kelly Riley or any of the, the cast yeah, through all uh, that? Yeah, Cole and Kelly, yeah, we, we interacted with all of them there for a minute. We didn't meet Kevin at that moment, but uh, yeah, that was actually about a 12 or 13 hour shoot for that small, I think it was like a four minute scene or something like that. It was one, you know, one day, full 12 or 13 hour day. We got a, we found a new respect for, you know, actors and actresses yeah. like that because they, they work pretty hard. Are you just sort of pantomiming in the background, like pretending to play your instruments and sing? And they, is that uh, how it works? We that that is how it works, and we were doing that at first. And eventually, we told uh, the director Taylor and um, some of the producers were like, "Hey, man, we do a lot better job if we're actually playing." So, long story short, we actually played. You know, for probably oh, neat. eight or nine of those hours, we actually turned on and we turned on the actual uh, the PA's and everything. We played for real. Okay, cool. And it is kind of an iconic scene. That's where we, where we, we or not the scene. Oh, well, the scene's iconic, but the, the, the episode is because that's where we were, met, we're introduced to the train station sort of concept. Yeah. And that has become sort of the, the folklore of Yellowstone. Um, yeah, sure. Have you kind of learned of any other acts, musical acts through that show? I mean, it's featured. Taylor's so good about featuring great music and really unique music through the four yeah. seasons. Yeah, he's got a pretty broad spectrum. He does a really good job of not only finding, but I think he's also in tune to that, uh, you know, that's the scene that's around Texas regional area that he does a really good job. Yeah, and there's so much, there's so many good acts down there that, that they don't receive that exposure that works so hard. You know, it's it's really cool of uh, a guy of his stature, like Taylor Sheridan, to reach deep and pull really cool acts like that to feature in, in such a, a prominent film. There's some other really good musicians on that show too. Of course, Ryan Bingham, everybody sort of points to, who's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like um, Denim Richards, who plays Colby in the bunkhouse, he's like a trained opera singer, I think. Uh huh. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, and then Gil Birmingham, the chief rainwater, he's like a. I don't want to say he's a great guitar player because I don't know guitar playing so so well that I'm in a position where I could call someone great. But he, it looks pretty damn good in the videos oh. I've seen. Like he. He seems pretty legit playing some Stevie Ravon music. I am, yeah. So now you guys got this album. Are you are you texting Taylor? Or are you calling? Be like, hey, listen, man, I really, we got this song. I think it'd be perfect for some sort of gunfight or something. Come no, on. man, we've 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 always let a, and you know it probably hurts us more than it's ever helped us. But we're usually pretty organic with things. We don't we don't push stuff. We don't push the songwriting or the music. We we usually. We usually never have a plan, and we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, hoping it works out, you know. 
somehow. But yeah, we usually don't push. We don't ask for things, you know. Stuff usually just kind of shows up. Luckily. Yeah. That's how you, you start small and, and build big. Um, right. Just a couple more minutes. I got two more questions for you, and they're, they're quick and easy ones. We got a John Jeffers from Whiskey Myers on, and the, the Tornillo album drops on July 29th. Y'all are also on tour through August, and you have the Firewater Festival uh, first weekend of October as well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. My, my brother is a pretty big fan, and he saw you recently in Chicago. I think you guys played there about a month ago, yeah. two or three weeks ago? Yeah not, yeah, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. He, he was at that show, so I, I had him pep, give me a question. He wanted to know what inspired Frogman. Ah, uh, we had a couple of good buddies, Cody and uh, Rich Robinson wrote that song yeah. from uh black group we had quite a few buddies you know it not only growing up through the 9-11 stuff but uh recently you know quite a few years ago we had quite a few buddies that were frog guys and uh that, that influence came directly from that from all the stories that they've told us you know over the years and i think cody just had a pretty strong feeling to uh you know kind of state the obvious there ended up being a one of my favorite songs for sure. And why is John Wayne called John Wayne? <laughs> it only says it once at the very end of the song, and the uh, the background singers say John Wayne. I don't know why they picked John Wayne. I think we thought it was funny as hell. You know, it, it was. Uh, we were kind of rooting for John Wayne Awesome for the the, okay. the title of the song because it makes absolutely no sense. You know, kind of just uh, striking some mystique or. Uh, intrigued there yeah do you kind of bury other jokes in the lyrics or kind of in the album for just stuff where you guys to sort of laugh at when you hear it absolutely there's all kinds of buried stuff everywhere so in this one there's buried uh there's buried artwork in there for people to try to decipher and see what's going on in the last one we had you know i designed the last artwork and it had uh some really interesting blacklight stuff that was going on that's uh takes a lot to figure out but yeah there's it's in the lyrics it's in the artwork it's everywhere did you design this artwork as well? I did not. I didn't do this okay. one. I did not. I wish I was that good. He, he can draw a hell of a lot better than I can. It's like a heart hand grenade kind of thing. Yeah, it's got like speakers and uh, it looks like a grenade and it's got a bunch of speakers in it and there's all kinds of stuff going on. It's uh, John Jeffers from Whiskey Myers, man. That's, that's all I got for you. I really appreciate you uh, joining the podcast today. Dude, thanks, Billy. I appreciate you taking the time here. Anytime, I'm here. That's Billy Dukes and John Jeffers of Whiskey Myers. The group's Torneo album drops in July, and the Firewater Festival is scheduled for September 29th in Kansas City. I'm Addison Hager, and there's more to come as we get ready for Season 2 of Yellowstone, premiering on November 13th on the Paramount Network. Last year, we were able to give exclusive cast interviews, and we hope to do the same again this season. So tap follow so you never miss a moment. Denton Rules is written by Billy Dukes and myself with help from Sterling Whitaker and produced by Billy Dukes. Big thanks for making us the top Yellowstone After Show podcast available and be sure to find us on YouTube for more analysis. As always, Denton Rules, a Yellowstone 1923 podcast is another great Townsquare Media podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.